Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Tuesday, October 22nd, 2013. And today we're reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Chapter 7, entitled Working with Others. We're on page 100, the very bottom paragraph, beginning with Assuming We Are Spiritually Fit. And today's readers are Melanie on the 12 Steps, Anne S. will read the 12 Traditions, the readers of the big book, Helena, Du, Devora, and Paula. The share ID for... Yesterday's meeting, that's Monday, October 21st, is 5348. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Melanie to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Then, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Past. Thank you. I will now call on Ann S. to read the 12 Traditions. Hi, good morning. This is Ann S. from Pennsylvania, compulsive overeater, the 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction, Rather than promotion, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book, Chapter 7, Working with Others, page 100, the very bottom paragraph, and I will ask Helena to begin reading, please. Good morning. This is Helena in southern New Jersey. Assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends who drink. We must avoid moving pictures which show drinking scenes. We must not go into bars. Our friends must hide their bottles if we go to their houses. We mustn't think of or be reminded about alcohol at all. Our experience shows this is not necessarily so. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. His only chance for sobriety would be someplace like the Greenland ice cap, and even there, an Eskimo might turn up with a bottle of scotch and ruin everything. Ask any woman who has sent her husband to distant places on the theory he would escape the alcohol problem. 
So I'd just like to comment a little bit on this. We discussed uh, the first paragraph a great deal yesterday, and many wonderful things were said about it. Um, and again, I'm focusing on assuming we are spiritually fit. And spiritually fit, at this point, of course, we wouldn't send a newcomer out into these conditions. Uh, we wouldn't ask somebody who hasn't yet worked steps one through nine, is really cleaning up uh, or has already cleaned up the past in step nine, um, has experienced the beginning of the step nine promises as a result of working the first nine steps thoroughly, according to the precise directions here, and then is living in 10, 11, and 12. So there we are, assuming we're spiritually fit. Here we are in step 12, and this is where we should assume that we are spiritually fit. And we are surrounded by food. We're not going to ask people around us. We're not going to make society change. We are surrounded by the substances that have triggered us in the past. And the answer has been a spiritual answer. And therefore, we can meet these conditions every day. On page 120 in Two Wives, the wives have given specific directions at the bottom of the page. We never, never try to arrange a man's life so as to shield him from temptation. The slightest disposition on your part to guide his appointments or his affairs so he won't be tempted will be noticed. Make him feel absolutely free to come and go as he likes. This is important. If he gets drunk, don't blame yourself. God has either removed your husband's liquor problem or he has not. If not, it had better been found out right away. Then you and your husband can get right down to fundamentals. If a repetition is to be prevented, place the problem along with everything else in God's hands. And then a little higher up at the top, it says, your husband will see at once that he must redouble his spiritual activities if he expects to survive, and that is after a slip, after he comes home drunk. So we see that the answer is spiritual. If we are spiritually fit, we are able to do all these things. If we are not spiritually fit, we had better find this out at once and get down to working the steps. Pass. Thank you, Helena. Would anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs? I'm Marge, you're a compulsive ever-eater. Go ahead. Um, I like the part where it says, assuming we're spiritually fit, um, we can do all sorts of things. Um, I have to give my higher power credit for giving me strength to endure any kind of situation like a party, um, a get-together, something at work, um, some kind of um, celebration uh, time. Um, in the past, when I used to binge, I used to want to eat everything or I would have one of everything um, or I would eat uh, sanely in front of people and then hide and eat a lot later. And um, Step one means a whole lot to me. It means that I have no um, say as far as food is concerned about how much to eat. I'm powerless over food, and I need God's help. So I'm powerless over the food that I confront when I go out to parties, etc. But um, it does say in our literature that it is weakness, not strength, that binds us to each other. Um, the fellow OA members are part of me, and I'm a part of them. And also our first tradition talks about unity. Um, I seek strength out of my, from my higher power, but I also have great um, 
favor because of my OA friends, the OA members. Um, so being spiritually fit is important to me. Um, also, the big book talks about not resting on my laurels, but um, um, using my program to guard myself from um, temptation, to guard myself from any kind of um, mistake I might make with food. Thanks for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you, Marjorie. Anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Kim. This is Paula, may I share? Katie. Kim, Paula, Katie. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. So we're being reminded again that this is a twofold illness. I have this allergy of the body, that I am a distinct entity. When I ingest certain substances, I am going to have a, a physical response of a phenomenon of craving. I'm going to ingest them, and that feeling is going to intensify, and it's never going to satisfy. That will never change. That's why I am never cured of this disease. But the larger aspect of my disease is this obsession of the mind. When the allergy is no longer in my body, I am no longer having the phenomenon of craving, and my mind is telling me, come on, it's been 30 days, it's been 60 days, you're down 20 pounds, you've had a good day, you should celebrate, you've had a bad day, you need to get that edge off. That is the reason that we are condemned to go back to the food every single time. When that obsession is removed, when we walk through these steps, when that connection with God is established and we have removed all the blocks, because believe me, OA is not about addition. We so often hear in the room, if you do more, more meetings, more phone calls, more of this, keep yourself busy. You know, that's that chapter into action. I was taught into activity. Keep yourself busy enough and distracted enough, and maybe you can go to bed and put your head on the pillow and say, thank you, God, I beat the food one more day. What the big book is telling us, it's a program of subtraction. We have to depress self. Four through nine, we get rid of our resentments. We get rid of our fears. We get rid of our sex conduct. We get rid of our defects. We get rid of our guilt, shame, and remorse by doing amends. And then we have this connection with God. It is removed. And that is why we can go into any situation because we are no longer searching for that effect that we got from alcohol because we have a connection with the higher power. You know, when I used to wake up in the morning when I was doing abstinence only and I would do steps one, two, and three every day, I would say, God, I'm powerless over food. I need to do all these things to protect myself, to be on guard. Step two is... You know, I, okay, God, I'm going to try to believe in you because I'm going to give you this laundry list of things you need to do in order for me to be safe. And step three was I would call my sponsor and I would turn my food over to my sponsor and hoping that by committing my food, I would be able to protect myself from the beast. That is not what this is telling us. If we have that alcoholic mind, if we are just treating this twofold disease with abstinence, we are going to go back. It doesn't matter if people hide the bottles. It doesn't matter if we keep ourselves away from people and places and things. Someone's going to show up on a Greenland ice cap. I'm going to be out somewhere and, and there's going to be a, a, a binge suit on the ground with dirt on it. 
and I'm still going to choose to pick it up. Because like the alcohol in mind is what we need to treat. We have to recognize, which we were told back in, in there's a solution, that we are beyond human aid. And that means meetings will help lead us to a solution, but they're not the solution. Phone calls can help us to reach towards that solution, but it's not the solution. Arranging our life in such a way can help us while we're going through the process, but it's not the solution. The only solution we have to that alcoholic mind is a connection with God. And let me testify. Let my deportment shout to you that there is a real answer because today the miracle isn't that I can go to bed at night having baked the food. The miracle today is I no longer want the food. And if I no longer want the food, I'm not going to eat the food. And if I don't eat the food, I'm not going to trigger the allergy. And if the allergy isn't triggered, I'm not going to get in that vicious cycle, which we are so trapped in, which the the, uh, doctor's opinion says so well. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Paula, go ahead. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. We meet these conditions, it says clearly. If there's something repetitive here, we always learn from repeating, don't we? External circumstances. That's on the outside. On the outside. But see, it was always the outside affected my inside. As we read there, an alcoholic who cannot meet them. This is your life, by the way. Everything that preceded this is your life. These things happen. Your life isn't going to change. You are going to change in the inside, and then it will change on the outside. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. Then we can go back. Here we are at this place. We've been given so much information, but I'm going to go to 85. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him. We need all that to live. Who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of the Spirit into us. That part I know when I've got the flow, and honey, I know when I have. Ask any good plumber, and they'll tell you, oh, the flow's not right. Why? It's clogging up. It's backing up. It ain't working anymore. Have I followed directions carefully that we've been given so beautifully, every line of them? I will tell you, when I have, I can meet these conditions. Whatever they are, they are life themselves. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you. Katie, go ahead. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, and I spent, you know, years in OA thinking that as long as I was not around the food, if I wasn't tempted, then everything would be okay. But the reality was I was always trying to manipulate my food plan to be able to, you know, uh, make it so that what I was eating, you know, resembled what everyone else was eating. And the miracle is, you know, as Kim said, I no longer want to do that. My food is not uh, the forefront of my mind today. I'm not um, 
you know, when I walk into a room, I I see that there is uh, a binge food sitting on the counter um, right now, but I don't have a desire to have it. And, you know, we live in America where there's uh, food at every possible place you could think of, and it's advertised, and it's here, and it's there, and it's everywhere. But I have a joy today that cannot be um, taken away because of my circumstances. So I'm able to meet these conditions every day, and I was able to meet those um, by the grace of God, once I put the food down for the last time, October 7th, 1987. I walked out of my job on October 7th in the morning, um, eating everything in sight. I walked back into that same job the next day on October 8th, and I no longer did that. And I didn't know that I had stopped for good. I just knew that I was powerless over that food, and if I put it in my mouth, I was not going to stop. I stopped believing that lie that said, this time it won't hurt you. This time will be different. It's only a little. You need to try it. You need to blah, 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 blah. That mental gymnastics stopped. And I was willing to go to any lengths to do what I was told to do by someone who had uh, was a few months ahead of me. And that meant not eating what people served me. That meant planning my day and planning my food. And lo and behold, once I got those trigger foods out of my system, I no longer desired them. But they are still around. Katie, we don't hear you. Star one. Okay. No, the guy was telling me everything. Okay. Um, So I'm... I just, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's an inside job. It's not an outside job. I can't orchestrate the whole world so that I am not tempted. I have to change from the inside out. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. I, too, would like to comment on a couple of things here, assuming we are spiritually fit. Again, reminding me that... um, I'm not going to be able to solve a spiritual illness, a spiritual malady with a physical solution. There is much more uh, to this program of recovery than just the mere elimination of the food substances that I'm triggered by. It goes on to say an alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. The greater aspect of the disease resides in my mind. So the mere elimination of my binge food still leaves me with the greater aspect of, of my disease, um, which resides between my two ears. You know, I like to say uh, the monkey may be off my back, but the circus is still in town. Um, this chapter, Working with Others, was written by people who had recovered, meaning that they had been transformed due to the application of these steps, and as a result of that transformation, they had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And as a result of that, the obsession of the mind, the greater aspect of the disease was driven out. Therefore, they could do all the things that were listed in the previous paragraph. 
um, I'd like to utilize the literature for a moment just to describe, you know, pre-God consciousness versus God consciousness. Pre-God consciousness we would find on page 24 in those italics where it says the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. That paragraph describes life prior to God consciousness. When a person is in this state, in the infancy of recovery, of course uh, we have to stay out of slippery situations. I think it's not only prudent to keep out of slippery situations, but it's also a sign of humility and spiritual maturity and acceptance of one's vulnerability and limitations because the closer you get to the fire, the more you get burned. But look what happens on page 85. After one, page 84 and 85, after one has gone through applying these steps, specifically steps four through nine, look what is described on the bottom of page 84 and 85. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We're not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. What I just read was as a result of a transformation. That transformation is spiritual in nature, a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. That's what happened to these men and women who then pen, pen these pages, and that's why they can meet these conditions every day. And with that, I'm going to pass, and let's move on to the next paragraph, please, with do. Do star one to unmute. Um, I'll read. I'll be glad to read. One moment, please. Let's await do for a moment. Devora, are you available? Yeah, hi, it's Devoa. I'm sorry. Thank you, Devoa. Go ahead. Okay, just one give me a minute. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always 
sales. Hi, this is Devoe in New Jersey. I am a compulsive overeater recovered. Thank you, God. Um, so here we are discussing about shielding the alcoholic from 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 everyday life, from everyday living, hiding, um, you know, not showing up because maybe there'll be something there that tempts us. And um, I know for myself, um, those how many things I missed going to in my life because I was afraid that there was going to be food there and I was going to spoil my diet and um, not be able to get back on the wagon again. And um, I know that um, that never helped me, you know, because I never, I didn't have a spiritual power in my life. I wasn't looking to God to shield me from this. Um, and um, I didn't know about the obsession of the mind and the addiction and the allergy of the body. Um, so I was totally going in that cycle of um, trying, trying, and avoiding people, places, and things because I I was not spiritually fit and I didn't know what my disease was all about. Um, so today, thank you, God, I don't shield myself from people, places, and things. I can show up today because I know I am... I know that I have a power in my life that is um, shielding me from this um, disease, and um, and I'm I'm a little distracted here. My daughter's calling me in the background, so I need to pass right now. Thank you. Thank you, Devora. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Bella. Can I share? Yes, Bella. Go ahead. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recover compulsive overeater. Thank you, Leah, for leading this meeting, and thank you, everybody, for being in the in the program on a, on this meeting. Um, it says here the first sentence in our belief, and this is the basis of the program. Our belief. Our belief is this what has to be changed. Before the program, we believed in ourselves, we believed in our power, we believed that we can do it. Now, this is what we have to change. We, we cannot change the food or we cannot change the reasons to be next to a food because this is doomed to failure. Yes, and this is our experience show that it doesn't matter if we move the, the food away from us or we didn't go next to the food or we didn't uh, go by to store, next to stores. This is a failure. This is, this is not going to exist for a long time because we have to change our belief. And our belief is to be now to be connected to God, not to believe in our power because it's not our power. We cannot run the show. We are not God. We have to change our belief, to believe that the food is not the problem. The food is a symptom. And yes, this is, thank God, our new belief, that to believe that God is in charge, and we have to check our connection to God. And when we're running to the food, when we have the food mind, it means stop. 
What's going on with your connection to God? How much you are ready to let God come into your life? And this is the belief. We have to change our belief to, to believe that we are powerless over food and we have a higher power greater than ourselves. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Anyone else on this paragraph? This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning again, everyone. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. Oh, can I relate to that? You know, I remember being at a meeting recently and somebody was getting a 30-day chip and she got up and everyone clapped and and she said, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to take this because I have so many of them at home, but I've never had a 60-day chip. You know, and that is so true of, of myself and I've seen the meetings is, is we're able to control it. What is our goal? We want to control and enjoy our eating. So we're able to control it for a limited amount of time and then the explosion is bigger than ever. And that's when I remember in my 20s, I remember saying, I can't diet anymore. Because dieting only meant gaining weight. Because if I, had, if I lost 20, I would gain back 40. If I lost 10, I would gain back 15. If I lost 40, I would gain back 60. So I just decided I can't because that spring back. Why was that spring back so intense? Because food and weight is not my problem. My problem is I'm restless, I'm irritable, I'm discontent, I'm not comfortable in my own skin. My problem is abstinence. So if I can't find a way to be comfortable in my own abstinence, what's going to happen is that explosion of trying to be the good girl, trying to avoid people, places, and things. All those methods, if only I eat organic. If only, maybe I'll become a vegan and that way the only thing I'll eat is stuff I don't even like and then I won't binge. Well, maybe if I only eat after I work out on the, on the pre-core or the elliptical for an hour and a half, then I'll be okay. Maybe if I throw up, maybe if I use laxatives, all these methods that we have tried. But if we have that alcoholic mind, it doesn't matter how long we shield ourselves. We're going to have that explosion that's going to get larger and larger because the disease is progressive. The periods of control are going to get shorter. So my only hope, my only hope is to get a connection with a higher power because that connection with the higher power will remove that obsession. It will allow me to get that neutrality around the food. It will allow me not to be cocky or afraid it will allow me to stop fighting everything or everyone. And it will happen automatically. I'm going to end with the way that I really see that it changed. Those first 17 years in LA, my last over, I guess a little over three years, is the fact that I spent my time staring at the food and running away so the food always had power. When I became a student of the big book and stopped reading this book and started studying it and applying the principles, what I did was I put the food down and I faced the solution and I ran towards it and the food naturally went into the background. I'm going to read it one more time. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. 
And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice, your turn. Thank you. Thank you, my dear. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a compulsive overeater, a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism, you know, I don't know about you, but I had plenty of schemes, plenty of ideas, plenty of methods that I tried. But all of them, all of them, led me back to that same place where I found myself picking up again. So what I really like about this paragraph is that it's experience being shown us. It's being shown to us that we have tried this method. These 100, these first 100 recovered alcoholics, they tried those same schemes. And this is what they found that they could not shield themselves by any scheme, by any personal willpower attempt. You know, that's what we're being reminded of here. I was doomed to failure because all I had was my own willpower, my own self-will. And what had I learned? That that had never worked. My lack of power had always been my dilemma. Lack of power, lack of power, lack of power, no matter how hard I tried. You know, I tried all these schemes. And I could succeed for a time. I could hang on by my fingernails. But inevitably, inevitably, I would find myself back in that same place. So we know that that's the impossible. All those attempts at the impossible have always failed. But we know, we know, studying this book, working the 12 steps, using the OA tools to support us as we work the 12 steps, all of those things help us to grow away from the food. We cannot run away from the food. We cannot shield ourselves from the food. At least that's been my experience. But together we can do what we could never do alone. Together we can work these 12 steps. Together we can read this big book And we can see by their experience what worked, what worked, and why would we not want that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Anyone else before we move on to the next paragraph? Can I share, please? Of course. Oh, thanks so much, Leah. This is uh, Larry, uh, compulsive overeater from Chicago. Um, thank you so much for, for the service and all the sharing. The one insight that I've had recently, I, I never get these great epiphanies, um, or typically I don't get great epiphanies, um, but it's uh, the subtlety of this latest revelation in my life um, in line with, with programming, in line with what we're reading. Yes, indeed, for me, um, my higher power is the power source, and I understand and I accept responsibility um, that, you know, the greater aspect of this disease is in my mind. Um, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I accept that powerlessness, you know, that's embedded in that, in that understanding. At the same time, you know, the, what I've learned experientially now is that, you know, it's what we hear all the time. I am responsible. I need to repeat that to myself. 
every day. I am responsible. You know, I've heard it said, and I, I like to repeat for, for my own benefit as much as anybody else, that, you know, God will not turn the shower on for me today. He is the power source, but he's given me the freedom to choose to shower or not shower. He has indeed given me the freedom of choice to pick up my binge foods or not pick up my binge foods. That's been my experience, and I, and I need to say that because for the longest time, somehow, maybe you're different than, than, than me, but words are important to me. And when I hear I am powerless for me, sometimes what resonates with me is I'm not responsible for the action. And I think the people that really, what I've learned in program, the people that really seem to embrace this program is they, need, they, they recognize that they've accepted a higher power of their own understanding and they, <clears throat> they recognize that they have to align their will with that of their higher power. And I still, I believe, I believe that then and I believe that today. But we're, because I have a problem with living, not so much with food, that I need to learn to live in alignment with God's will and take responsibility that to go to any lengths, we hear that all the time, but what is that really? What is my choice? Do I take a step towards disease today? <clears throat> or Larry, am I going to take a step towards recovery? And in taking a step towards recovery, I make this decision. No one, like Leah and other people share, no one opens that bakery box for me. God doesn't, certainly no one else does. That food doesn't magically jump off the plate or the cellophane bag or the bakery box. I pick it up and I willfully make that decision. Yes, I recognize that I have an allergy to the body. I get that. But um, again, I just for me, I don't know if it's helpful to anybody else, but again, I am responsible and I, God has given me the freedom of choice uh, to, 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 to make those decisions. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Larry. And let's move on to the next paragraph, please. Leah? With you, yes. This is Sharon. May I share briefly on this paragraph? Sure. Go ahead, Sharon. Thank you. Uh, it says here, in our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. Now, this chapter is called Working with Others. It's written to us who have uh, begun the journey of recovering from alcoholism. It's written to us to, to show us how we are to get recovered, and the way we get recovered uh, is to work with others. And so we're learning how to work with others. So we're being taught that when we are working with others, any scheme that we might propose to them for combating their alcoholism or their compulsive overeating, anything that we think we can do to help them that uh, proposes to shield them. For instance, we're working with someone they have a wedding coming up, lots of food. It may be, our temptation may be to say, don't go to the wedding because you're too weak. You're not able. You're not capable. Uh, it's better to maintain, to stay away. So it's really, it's really deepening for us 
how we work with others, how we view alcoholism, I'm reminded once again of page 14. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles on all our affairs, particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. And uh, faith without works is dead. And then it goes on to say that if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. So we are to get into our being that our recovery, now we can get abstinent weighing and measuring, well, all sorts of techniques and schemes for getting abstinent. But what we're referring to is recovery. Recovery, according to the big book way, is a spiritual practice. It's a spiritual phenomenon. It is a way of helping to have the impossible done. It is um, what we're doing is something that is impossible to do by human, with human aid. Even when we're working with others, we're 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 not. It's an impossible thing to do from a human vantage point. It requires a spiritual intervention, a spiritual recovery. And so, what we are being taught once again here is that we are. It's not us. Are any effort that we try out of our own strength to get someone recovered will end up in a bigger explosion. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that we're operating on a spiritual plane as we direct people and that we don't get once again into our ourself, into our self way, uh, our our. Um, our human way of doing things, which is fraught with, well, which has all sorts of schemes, okay? If you do this, you do A, B, C, and D. You do this, 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 and this. You don't go here. You don't go there. That is not what's going to help our sponsee or the people that we're working with get recovered. The way that they're going to get this recovery is by working the steps, by staying close to the program of recovery by developing a relationship with a higher power of their understanding. That is how we help people get recovered. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Okay, now let's move on to the next paragraph with Do, please. Good morning. This is Do. Um, do you want me to read the, the first paragraph or the two paragraphs? Uh, the first paragraph, please. So our rule. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. That includes bar, nightclubs, dance, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain ordinary whoopee parties. To a person who has had experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like a tempting providence, but it isn't. Um, and my name is Du, and I'm a uh, compulsive overeater. And um, I, I love this first paragraph. It says, so our rule is to avoid the place where there is drinking. And here's the qualification. If we have a legitimate reason for being there. 
You know, and one of the things I've learned uh, from the big book that in 1939, um, it was very difficult for the um, the editors of this book to to come up with the money to italicize this, but they did come up with the money. It was very expensive to italicize things. And so they did it because they wanted to impress upon the reader the importance of certain things um, that they wanted to stress to the reader. And it says, if we have a legitimate reason for being there. And that really stood out for me because it reminds me always that no matter if I'm recovered, um, I am always a compulsive overeater, you know, and it says in uh, page 85, you know, that, that, you know, alcohol is a subtle foe and we're not cured of alcoholism. So I always have to remember that, that no matter where, what situation I'm in, where I'm going, that alcohol or compulsive overeating is a subtle foe, you know, that I have to be on the lookout for that that I am not cured. I am not, you know, all I have is a daily reprieve contingent on the spiritual maintenance of my my spiritual condition. You know, and, and this gives us another qualification where it says, assuming we're spiritually fit. And I'm going to say, if we are spiritually fit. If, assuming. If we're spiritually fit. This is something that we can do only if I'm connecting to the higher power. Only if I'm going through the spiritual disciplines every day, you know, going through 10, 11, and 12, you know, living on that and, and um, strengthening my spiritual muscle. And the way I do that is taking the spiritual disciplines every day and, and working them in my life. And then I also have to ask myself, what are my motives for going to these places? Is it to bring something to this place or is it to, to derive some sort of, you know, some sort of uh, pleasure out of that, you know, and it's like I need to check my motives before going there um, because, like I said before, you know, the, the the book tells me that I am not cured. I am not cured. Yes, I do have a connection with God. Yes, I do uh, practice these things daily, but I have to be mindful that even though I'm armed with facts about myself, I need to know that I am not sure and that I could be tempted and that I could be let out if I don't have the right motives for going there. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Do. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I ask you? Yes. Paula, go ahead. Thank you. just want to hit that first line. Actually, I'm zeroing in on a word here. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking. It says here, and it uses the word rule. What's a rule? A rule or measure, a guiding principle. That's it. Something that guides me. And it does. And what does it say? The next line. So what would the rule? If we have a legitimate reason for being there. I have a guiding principle now. So I will know. And I'm going to scoot on down to that last line and back up here again. But it says here, to a person who has had experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. Because as we said, we're going by rules now and disciplines. And God himself, they're our guiding principle. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. 
Thank you, Paula. Anyone else? This is Bella. Can I share? Yes, Bella. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recover compulsive overeater. Thank you, Leah, for leading this meeting, and thank you, everybody that is on the meeting. It says this, it, it says here, if we have a legitimate reason for being there, and it brings me back to the serenity prayer that we say it every day. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, to accept the, the courage to change the things I can. There are certain things that we cannot change. Now, there are certain things that we can change. And when we think, when the, to, we have to find the reason why we are there. If we are in a wedding or we are in the store, what is the reason for us to be there? Is the reason there to be there to be with the food? Or maybe there is another, another reason. There are certain things that we cannot change. We are there now in a place that there is food. We cannot change. But this is our reason to be there. We went there to be next to the food and to see how, how can we deal with this. Or maybe we are in a place that there is food, but this is not the main reason for us. Maybe there is a wedding. Maybe there is a meeting, and the food is not the main thing. The main thing for us is to understand our relationship, and it's again coming <clears throat> our belief how much we are willing to let God come into our life. And we have to understand there are certain things we cannot change. Yes, the food will be there all the time, but we have to understand and to accept why we are there, what God wants from us now that we are there. And to, to think, oh, how can I strengthen my connection with God wherever I am, if I am in a place with food or in, if I am in a place that only the smelling of the food. All the time it comes again and again, how much I am willing to let God into my life. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you so much. This is Leah. I, too, would like to jump in on this. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we, if we have a legitimate reason for being there. Legitimate means valid, rightful, honest, genuine, reasonable, um, Again, this was written by people who had recovered. The obsession of the mind had been expelled. Um, this is their experience, their collective wisdom and experience. Um, so our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. The whole point of this program of recovery is to go from a self-centered, egocentric lifestyle to a God-centered life. Uh, so our job at this point as sponsors is to be of maximum helpfulness to other people. And so with that platform, we never hesitate to go anywhere if we can be helpful. So perhaps that includes visiting such places as bars where they did a lot of 12-step work, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, etc. Uh, they had a new boss. It says to a person who has 
had experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. Why is it not like tempting providence? Again, these men and women had recovered. They had applied these very steps that you and I study every morning. As a result of applying these steps, they had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. You'll remember that um, to get over alcoholism, to get over compulsive overeating, requires a change in thought and attitude. And once that has been accomplished, not through any personal power or personal success of our own, yes, responsibility, yes, cooperation with God's grace, but it's a mysterious dance between willingness, responsibility, and grace, which leads us to a place that I referred to earlier on page 85. Again, these men and women had been restored to sanity. Now they have a sound mind. Now they can see the truth about their disability, the disability that they have an allergy to a substance called alcohol. an ability to see the truth about the defect of their mind. But now they have been restored to sanity, they react sanely and normally, and they find that this has happened automatically after the application of these steps. They have a new attitude. They're not fighting it. This is not combat. This is not war between men and women and alcohol. They are not fighting it, neither are they avoiding temptation. They feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. They have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for them. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we, can, as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Hence, the ability for them to enter these other atmospheres when they have a legitimate reason for being there. Because alcohol was never their real problem. Food and weight were never my real problem. I believed food and weight were my problem for a long, long time. Food and weight were symptoms of a problem. My real problem was selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear. And when I bring God into that equation through the working of these steps that we study every more morning, I don't think that way, and I don't eat that way, and I'm not tempted that way, because I'm not plagued with the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction out of this world if only I uh, direct it and rearrange it according to my wishes, demands, and specifications. So hence the freedom that these people experience, and hence the ability to go into these atmospheres when they have a legitimate reason for being there. And with that, I pass. And we're certainly out of time. And I will ask Paula, please, to read from page 164, A Vision for You. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. 
Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.